Welcome to the series on abuse, everyone, with my guest today, Orshika Yulia. She is the author of 52. She is Jack Canfield certified, trained parenting expert, and she is going to be here today sharing her story of abuse and moving on with her life and how she is healing and all of this amazing stuff. So I welcome her today and I hope you all stick with me. Here we go. Hello, everyone. This is Meredith with a Y, and I am your host, Meredith Willett. Today, we are going to go deep, changing lives, and I am giving you the keys to the castle. Okay, so today we have Orshika Yulia here today, author of the book 52. And I just want to give a trigger warning that today we will be speaking about abuse, both physical, mental, emotional. And so if you are not okay with hearing this type of stuff, please come back for another series because today that's what we are going to be talking about. So Orshika, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story, your triumph and your daily healing as we just spoke about before we hit record. I'm just so grateful to be here and anything to be able to help those who are going through it in the moment now and those who have come out of the abuse, I really feel like this is my calling and this is my passion to be able to just help people get out of their quicksand because I know that I wanted that help and it really wasn't as available 10 years ago as it is now. So any way that I can help. So it's just truly an honor and a blessing and a pleasure to be here and, and help your audience out with this. Yeah. And I always think of anything in life is like, if you can see it, you can achieve it if you can hear it. So anytime any of us are sharing these stories of how we did it, what it looked like, how bad it really was and how we escaped that, it's going to help so many people around us go, okay, I thought I was really, 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 really trapped, but she did it. And so right. I think I can too. So you're literally opening the doors today for people that are listening to this for like hopefully thousands of people to change their life forever. So I really appreciate your vulnerability and sharing a story that might not always be that fun to, to share. So I'm going to let you talk. This is this whole series on abuse. I kind of feel like I need to step back and let everyone have their platform. And so as we discussed, I just really want you to kind of take people through that timeline or what it looked like, how it felt so people can understand that, yes, there's people out there like them. Absolutely. And that's so true. And that's, that's the biggest thing. And that's the biggest hurdle really is to understand that you're not alone. You know, we hear that more and more, oh, the, the hashtag Yana, I think Lisa Nichols kind of made that a thing, right? That you are not alone hashtag. And it's so true. And it's so necessary to find that community for those of us who have gone through domestic violence, the hard part is because we've been through domestic violence, let it be emotional, mental, or physical, or, you know, all three or two out of the three, whatever the cocktail is, it's difficult to find that community because it's difficult to trust. It's difficult to trust ourselves to begin with, and then to learn how to trust others. So it's easy now, 10 years out of it for me to say, oh, find a community. But I remember as though it was yesterday that it's not easy to find a community. So if you're at that place where you're like, oh, sure, easy to find a community, I assure you, I remember very vividly as though it was yesterday that it's not easy. Thankfully, now we have more accessibility to like Facebook groups and people are coming out talking about it more. And I just wish I would have, one, found that 10 years ago and two, had been brave enough 
to realize that there was support because I'm not saying there wasn't support a decade ago, but I just wasn't brave enough to find it. And that comes from having been abused from the lack of self-esteem. Like, why would anybody want to be my friend? Why would anybody want to be in community with me? Why would anybody want to even care what I've been through? It's so minor compared to some of the other abuse stories that you've heard. But at the end of the day, abuse is abuse is abuse right? And violence is violence. So yeah, it's, it's definitely mentally anguishing and stressful to come out of it. And and that confidence that you're worthy of a community and you're worthy of people to getting to know you and to truly genuinely love you with all of the, the baggage and all of the, you know, emotional bruises that we carry as we heal through this process. Anyway, that was really long winded. (laughs) No, you're fine. And I, you know, as you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking about, it's not like this person that's in this, this abusive situation is this strong, as we say, boss bitch, right. Who's got her shit together and she's powerful. And she's like, she is damaged. She's broken. She's hurting. She, she feels shame. She feels, you know, all of the horribleness She feels responsibility for what she's putting maybe her children through, herself through, her family through, and she wants to hide it from the world. So to say, well, why don't you just leave? Why don't you just tell someone? And we're going to be talking about this in probably every single episode during this series of why didn't you go to someone? And I see this through all the women I'm speaking to. There's a reason that people don't just, you know, go to their neighbor and say, hey, my husband just punched me in the face. Right. You know, they're these, these people that are, are being, that are abusing, they're, they're crafted at this. They know exactly what they're doing. They pull you away from your family. They pull you away from your friends. They separate you from society. They make you secluded. They make you feel broken and damaged. And then, you know, it's like the military, we will tear you down. And then unfortunately they don't build you up like the military does, you know, it's just a tearing down. And then they are the only person that can save you. They're the only person that can make you feel good, bad, or ugly throughout the day. So when your abuse started, was it, was it overnight? Was it gradual? How does that look like in your experience? That's a great question. It was pretty gradual. So I was a mom of two young girls and my self-esteem wasn't really there. And honestly, that's, you know, a lot of times we get in abusive situations because our self-esteem is lacking. And if we really delve deep into who we are, we attracted that producer to us because of that lack of self-esteem. And a lot of people don't want to admit that. And that's important for the healing process to admit that we allowed that person into our life for whatever reason, let it be because we were abused as children, which is a whole other gamut, right? That's a whole other conversation or because we had low self-esteem because such as myself, I was a single mom of two young kids and I didn't, uh, anybody would want me. Right. So I met this person through a mutual friend who had no idea he was abusive because like, you're not going to introduce, you know, that's just ridiculous. Like here, I think you should date this guy because he'll beat the crap. Like I make light of it now, but, but the reality is that's not reality, right? Like you don't introduce somebody that way. So well-meaning individual who introduced us 
And it started out great. Like he bought me flowers. He worked third shift. So he'd come home in the morning and we moved in pretty quickly. Again, that was from low self-esteem. If I would have had any self-dignity, then I would have not allowed him to move in after like literally three dates. I think we knew each other for like two weeks and he was already moving in. Don't we do that. Yeah, we hear that now too. It's it's that's one thing I love about like TikTok and social media is we are learning on the daily. Like that's that love bombing where they come in and they just love bomb you and you're like, "Oh my god, this is what I've been waiting for." And I tell my girlfriends, I'm like, any man worth his salt is not going to move in with a woman, is not going to move in with a woman of kids. They're going to take their time. They're not going to get engaged with you in 3 months. But right. that is that narcissistic like that, that, that love bomb mirroring all that stuff we're learning about. And we fall for it when we're not healthy. We do. And that's not, and that's, let's back up for a second. That doesn't mean that there's something wrong with the person because we fall for it. It just simply means that the person needs healing on multitude of levels. Right. So I needed healing and I, you know, now hindsight, 2020, that's been 15 years, 14 years ago, my son's 14. So that's been 14 years ago. Yeah. I mean, I needed deeper healing that I didn't even know I needed. So anyway, he, he would come home and make me breakfast, be the dad for the girls and everything was hunky dory and like in the flower, slip some earrings in there and take care of me to realize now hindsight, right. That that was grooming me to be the person he wants me to be. And at one point he was like, you know, he made me feel like a trophy wife because we got married pretty quickly because I got pregnant pretty quickly. And I was raised in a culture where if you get pregnant, you get married. Don't do that. <laughs> just don't do just, that. Don't do that. Don't do I that. mean, we're just going to, you know, just because you get pregnant doesn't mean you have to marry the guy. It doesn't give yourself permission to not do that. Yeah. Yeah. If you know, what would you do differently? That's the one and only thing I would do differently was to not marry him because then there's the legal bond. And that's a slew. My mother came and visited and she was like, this is not good. And I'm like, no, I'll just love him through the way he is with other people. And if I show him love, you know, firsthand, then, then he'll be able to love me back the same way. Well, here's the deal, folks. Let me just tell it to you how it is. Right. If I'm sorry. I said, right. I I'm, I'm following all with this. I'm laughing at myself. Believe me when I tell you, I'm like, Oh, the lies I have told myself. I'm just listening to you going, Holy crap. It's amazing what we believe. It is. Oh gosh. Yes. I mean, so let's just call this spade a spade. If the person treats people in his life poorly, you're not going to change their ability to love because their ability to love is at a different level than your ability to love. And oftentimes abusers will find those who are much more empathetic to everybody else because we're an easy target because we're just going to love you through it. And it's going to be rainbows and skittles and squishy mushies. Look at the way he treats his mother or she treats her dad or mother. Like look at the way the abuser, because we say he and she like She's the only one who's getting abused, but the reality is the men are getting abused just as much, probably more than the women. So let me just set that on the stage that I'm not leaving the men out of this. Yeah. So we can just, you know, transpose the genders wherever you you feel necessary, but look at the way the person that you're dating treats their family. And that's the way they're going to treat you. 
right? Because we are sunshine and rainbows to perfect strangers. And then we come home and we tend to treat those who we love the most, the worst, which is not okay. Like, let's be rude to society and be kind to our family. Let's just not be rude to anybody. Let's just be kind to everybody. You know, that's truly the bottom line. But the reality is look at the way that they're treating their family, their parents, their siblings, their other baby mamas or baby daddies. Again, just because you get pregnant and they impregnated somebody else or got pregnant by somebody else doesn't mean that that's a bad person, right? It just means that that relationship didn't work, but you can still be amicable with your child's parent, right? So if they're not amicable with the other child's parent, huge red flag, run the other way. Like, yeah. And and they and they use that they use those relationships because I will be talking to someone. I'm gonna we'll have Nicole on, and she's gonna be talking about a narcissistic for your relationship that she was in, and you see it in all these abusive situations where oh she's she's my crazy ex wife. Oh, I have oh, yeah. a bad relationship with my mom because she's nuts, and my dad. You know, it's always everyone else's fault. It's never never. Want, but see, and it plays into the. So it plays into, and I, I think this is super important when the abuser says everybody else is broken, it's all these other bad relationships, but not you, right. you're the special one. You right. and I are a team. You and I are perfect together. And then you feel this like, oh my gosh, yes, I'm special. It's it's he and I against the world. And it creates this, this bond, this, it, it, and you feel like, oh yes, I am so special in this person's life. And and if it, if it weren't for me, they would have a sad life because all these right. people are horrible around them. Right. And right. it does create this mental picture in your head. And you, you feel that it's, it. I guess they call it trauma bonding. I don't know what yep. the, the verbiage is, but I mean, right? I mean, yeah. it's, and you can see this in so many relationships where you're creating this sadistic, sick, twisted team, and they're doing it to you that you feel like you can't leave. If it's, if it's not you, this person's going to die. They're going to fall apart. It's, yeah. you're here to help them, you know, if, and they, they use all the right words. And so like, if you're Absolutely. in a situation and you're listening to this, you are not alone. This is exactly what abusers do. They get rid of the family. They tell you the reasons they have bad relationships is because of all the other folks. And it's you and them against the world. You're Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde. How was the Bonnie and Clyde outcome? Yeah, exactly. So and if you're not familiar with Bonnie and Clyde, Google it. Google it. Yeah. So he's, you know, it's, it's this love bombing mom comes in, tells you, Hey, red flag. You're like, no, I got this because clearly we know everything. Clearly, <laughs> clearly, we got this. <laughs> we got this. Obviously we got this. Yeah. Right? And so I got pregnant pretty early on. I honestly think we had intercourse less than 10 times and <laughs> silly me. So here was one of the lies. Yeah. I have a low, low sperm count. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, Eric is an one. So best one sperm donation I ever got. Like totally grateful. I have three kids. I have three right. kids donations. But anyway, right. that's but absolutely the best, best thing that came out of that relationship. I have the most amazing son. And I have two beautiful older daughters as well. And 
the loves of my life. And so, you know, it's all a matter of perspective too. Right? Pregnant, I could have been like, oh crap, now I'm, I'm bonded to this person forever. And instead I was like, thank you God for trusting me with one of your other children. Right. And so it's all a matter of perspective. And, and I think that's part of the healing journey as well is how we think and our mindset shift. And it's hard. I mean, having that mindset shift is hard, but it's possible. And so we got married. Let's see, we met November 1st. We got married so pretty quickly. And then my son was born in October. So literally like 11 months. Mm -hmm. And all the while you feel like you're being swept off your feet and you finally found the love of your life. And this is what you've been waiting for and yeah. you're going to live happily ever after. Yeah. And oh my God, this is what's in the movies. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, 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 a, we, we, and no. And no. And I gave him a son and the light switch turned. And, and up until that point, if I, if I'm totally honest with myself and completely vulnerable with you and your listeners, there were red flags. There were, things that I tolerated because I thought that's what you do in a marriage. And I thought that's what you do when you love somebody is you tolerate those red flags and those indiscretions, you know, there's been, he was not answering the phone and I'm not saying that you have to be like ball and chaining the other person, but there were times when, you know, he just, his time was unspoken for. And yeah, there was, there were just, you know, those slight, slight red flags that I looked at as orange flags that I lied to myself that they didn't mean. And, you know, and by no means am I saying go out and look for thing and made a red flag. Right. So there's a balance there because oftentimes we'll hear a podcast such as this. And then we're like, Oh, that's a red flag. Oh my gosh. He didn't text me back within five minutes. Like right. chill out people, you know, right. <laughs> like it's, but really- doesn't that go to the gut? And that's where then we talk about the gaslighting where you have that gut instinct. You do have sure. that knowing it's not just a, he didn't text me back. This is four hours unaccounted for. And I know in my gut, this feels weird. And then they turn it around on you. They call you crazy. It's yeah. your problem. Now all of a sudden there's yeah. a fight based on, and now you don't trust your gut. And that's that gaslighting we're hearing so much about. And we're really tapping into this types of information so that sure. people know about gaslighting is when someone denies you your truth. And mm-hmm. tells you that your truth, your gut instinct, the way that you feel about your world and your experience is incorrect and wrong. Right. And then we wonder why we have a challenge after we get out, learning to trust that gut again, learning to, yeah, you know, trust, trust your community because you've spent all these years being gaslit. I'm not sure what the past right. tense right. of that is, but, you know, going through gaslighting, having been gaslighted, I guess we're just going to use that for now. Perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and really what helps with that is meditation and prayer. I mean, that's, you've got to just hone into yourself again, you know, hone into literally who find you yourself. Are. Yeah. Literally, literally go back and, 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 and remove all of that damage, all of that garbage that was placed on you. And it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of time. Yeah. A five minute meditation every morning and months later, you're healed. It's just like grief, right? Because you really are grieving the loss of a relationship that you put all your hopes and dreams and love in actually. And so it's really grieving a loss of that relationship and a loss of the family dynamic and having to reprogram all of that. So 
and allow yourself the time to grieve and then allow yourself the time to heal. So anybody who is listening and they're within that six, you're not there yet. You're not anywhere near healed. Like I would say, give yourself six months of not dating of not because so many you want to feel that worthiness that you're, you know, like a decent human being. So you're like, Oh, I'm going to go out and date really quickly. Please do yourself a favor and stop. Just don't even think about it. Allow yourself at least months to heal just to even begin to touch the tip of the iceberg. You know, when we see the images, there's the little, you know, iceberg, but then all the stuff underneath, like six months is barely chipping away at the tip of the iceberg. I'm not saying, you know, be alone for 10 because that's, gets lonely. Yeah. But allow yourself time to heal. Yeah. And there's so much shame because you usually in these types of relationships, you have fought with your family and friends. They've tried to save you. They've tried to show you what's actually going on and you sure. don't listen. And then you defend the relationship. You defend your abuser. You hide the abuse. You make excuses of how this is your fault. And now after, you know, if you are in the process of leaving this, this abuse, now you got to figure out a way, how do I go back to those friends and family that were right and not be re-abused with the, I told you so's and the shame. And I mean, it's, it's thick. This is a it's thick, very thick, it's a thick and heavy process. It's a lot of self-forgiving of, you know, and that's a, it, so many people are like, but you're smart for the love of God. You're college educated. You, right. raising oh my gosh, beautiful yes. children. you know, how did you, how yes. are you so stupid to let a guy yes. punch you? How yes. are you so dumb to let this, this lunatic treat you this way and stay yes. with them? And you're like, I know I'm smart. I know I have a good brain. I know I'm college educated or not, whatever. I know I'm savvy. And it still happens to the best of us. And And that's that's huge. It's huge. And that's the thing. Domestic violence, 0% of your economic level, your education, domestic violence doesn't care. It doesn't care. Like it on all levels, domestic violence doesn't care. And that's something that was hard for me to understand because I'm like, well, I'm a daughter of a doctor and I'm educated and I have a master's degree. And, you know, I put myself on this like unnecessary pedestal, honestly, because I was like, oh, that only happens to the uneducated. I was, I was, I was naive. I mean, I'm going to admit that flaw. I'm going to be vulnerable with you. And if you take offense to that, I sincerely apologize. But that was my thinking. Like, how could this happen to me? This happens to people at a certain socioeconomic level. And that my upbringing, that's not where I am, you know, today that was just dumb of me. Like I'll call myself out on that. That was, you know, very unfair, very unrealistic. So again, if you take offense to that past thought process of mine would ask that you show me grace because that's not my thought process now. And I fully understand, but that's a normal thought process, especially when you haven't lived in abuse. I was not raised in an abusive situation. You know, my father was kind to my mother and my mother was kind to my dad. They were toxic with each other on some level, you know, they're Eastern European and they drink like, you know, that was just our culture, but for a hand raised, there was, was, yeah. So I didn't think it would be possible for me because I just wasn't raised in that environment. I was naive and I apologize. Yeah. And, you know, I think that too, when we get into these situations, because I was in an abusive relationship, not my ex-husband, 
not my current husband. Everyone's always like, oh, Rich. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and and when you get into these situations, it's not like one day you're at a dinner having a lovely time and you're on the ride home and they punch you in the face. Right. And it's very cut and dry. And you're like, what the? This is so gradual. You are literally groomed. This is, this is a process where then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I guess I... I mean, I really did push him. I mean, he has right. warned me. He has right. explained to me how it's not his fault that he has this hair trigger anger. And I didn't do what I know I'm supposed to do. And it's expected of me. What, what is expected of me. And so, and you sit there and literally find a way because you're waiting for the love bomb on the other side too. Like yeah. this is ebb and flow of the most highest, 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 highest highs. If you have never been in an abusive relationship, I promise you, you do not know euphoria right. like an abusive relationship because they will love bomb you so bad. It is like nothing on this planet. You feel like you are the most loved, the most special, the most needed. It is so sadistic. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it is. And, I mean, it is. and you never want to let that go. You're, you no. know, you will never find a relationship for someone to love you that dramatically, that passionately. But none of that is healthy. That is not true. That's not real love. That's no. that's psychosis. I don't know. I don't have. I don't not. A, yeah. I don't have a psychosis. That's major. a good one. It's a psychosis that you're in and you're like, oh my God, I'm never going to find someone to love me this passionately, make love to me this passionately, kiss me this passionately, you know, kiss me in the rain. It's all the movie shit you've seen. That is what a abusive relationship looks like in like a domestic violence, you know, setting is sure. everything. It is, it's the nine and a half weeks. You know what I mean? It's, it's all of that. It's eating you know, honey in front of the kitchen, you know, in the, at midnight together with strawberries. It's that they bring that to the table at the good times. And it's just as equally psychotic, horrific, passionate and dramatic in the opposite direction. Yeah. Drama is no good. Get rid of the drama, people. Drama like, is no good. And passion if is great. Yeah. Drama is, oh, you but don't if, need it. But if you have low self-esteem and that person brings that drama, they br you hear women all the time, I don't want, I like a bad boy. I don't like a good boy. They're so boring. Trust right. me. Take the good boy. Take the good guy. Because that drama, that love bomb, that, that nine and a half weeks moment, if you haven't read, seen the movie. I encourage it, but that's, that's a movie. That's TV shit. You know what I mean? That's not yeah. real life. You want to have a partner in life. So as you move forward in your marriage, what, how did your, if you want to talk about it, it's totally up to sure. you. How did your abuse kind of play itself out? And then what did it look like when you finally were like, holy crap, I have to leave. Right. So exactly to what you were saying, the, the love bombs, right? Like, oh, and the the subtle brainwashing and manipulations, like, Hey, I bought you a shirt so we can go out clubbing. It's a shirt that I'm not comfortable in, but he bought it for me. And so he thinks I'm cute in it. So I'm going to wear it, even though my confidence isn't there because I'm a fairly modest person anyway. And they me this shirt where I'm like, I don't know how this works. You know, like <laughs> why do I have, then why am I, what's going on here? 
right? And But he likes it and he was kind enough to go out and buy it for me. So I'm going to wear it because he thinks I'm cute in it. So, oh my goodness. If the guy doesn't like the clothes you're wearing and the style, it doesn't have to be the clothes necessarily, but the style, get rid of them, get rid of them. And same for, I mean, we tend to do that with our men as well. We're like, oh, we don't like the clothes. So we're going to change the clothes. Don't do, just don't do that to the other human. Love and accept them for who they are, where they are, or get rid of them altogether. Right. Like you'll, might not you'll find somebody you. else. Yeah. They might right, not be for right. you. Right. So anyway, I digress to, to close, but that's just a side note. Yeah. So we, we moved from where we live to another city for about a year. And it was, I started noticing those subtleties, like, I'm not comfortable in this. Why would I want to wear this? <laughs> there was one in, we lived in, in the South and the South in the summer is hot and dry and disgusting in some parts, depending on if you're by the coast. And I was out gardening one day and he came home from work and he's like, why aren't you wearing any makeup? And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm out gardening. He's like, yeah, you should always have makeup on. And I was like, the hell I need to have makeup on when it's 105 degrees and I'm gardening. Are you kidding? And that was probably like my first, like, what's going on here really? And then another incident we were, I was changing in front of them. And mind you, I've now had three children and this was probably within two months. So six to eight weeks of having my son. And he looks at me and he goes, your abs aren't what they used to be. And I was like, that was my first massive, like, what the flippity flop is going on here? Right. And I looked at him and I will remember this, like it was this morning's conversation for the rest of my life, because now I can laugh about it right in the moment. I was just appalled and astonished, but I looked at him and I said, yeah, so I had three kids in this body. You gained more weight with me with the pregnancy and you're still a fat ass. So what's your explanation? You said that I did. And <laughs> where did this come from? Like, I was pissed. I was like, cause I'm usually a pretty, I'm passionate about life. Yes. But I'm a pretty easygoing person. Like, yeah, you could put me in the corner and I'll hang out and you know, I won't back. But when you insult me like that, I'm just going to come out like earrings off, boots off. Let's go. Like, let's, let's go. And yeah, I just looked at him and I'm like, you're still a fat ass. What's your explanation? And he just looked at me and I'm like, what, you know, what, you know, like, right. You have the audacity to tell me my abs aren't what they used to be when it was literally six weeks ago, I pushed a human out of my tiny body. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. Let's think about that. And let's back up. I'm about five, four ish. And six weeks after I had my son, I was back down to like 110, 115. So he's just being abusive. He's just trying he to just, tell you that you're not good enough and try to right. break you down. And so that was the first time I stood up for myself. And that was really the first time that I, that, that red flag was like, hello, right in front of you, all the red flags, you know, going mm -hmm. this. So then we moved to another state rolling and it kind of got worse. So interestingly enough, he was nicer with alcohol than without the alcohol. So I kept pouring the drinks for both of us. And so my addiction habit, my some habits started in the new place where we were living. And my son was about a year and I stopped nursing by this point. And it was just those subtle, like, you're not good enough. And why aren't you doing this? And my house isn't clean enough. That was always a thing. If he would go off to wherever, cause he would leave fairly regularly, just made sure that 
he came home to a clean house. It's just who I am, right? So even when my daughters were still living at home, because my two older daughters aren't living at home anymore, but when they were living at home and they would go visit their dad, different fathers, by the way, go visit their dad, then I would make sure that their house or the clean for them and, you know, just kind of welcome them home that way. So that's just my nature. And when I'm home and he's like, this entire house smells like, you know, dog pee. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like I just literally scrubbed the walls and, but it was those subtle things that broke me down and I had had enough. And so we took vacation. The kids and I went to Northern state to visit grandparents and we took vacation and I, I run on and off. And this particular day I went for a run and twisted my ankle. I had a massive ball on my ankle. I didn't, I tore ligaments. I didn't break anything. I tore ligaments. So I had this massive softball of purple on my ankle and I called him up and he's like, you know, 2000 miles away at this point. I called him up to let him know that I was going to the emergency room. And he goes, I told you not to run. I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> what? So instead of, Hey babe, are you okay? How can I help you? I'll be call me from the emergency room. Thanks for letting me know, you know, like the normal human responses. I told you not to run. I knew this would happen. Oh, you knew that on this particular day, I was going to misstep and I was going to bust my ankle and tear ligaments. You knew that. (laughs) Okay. So those are those subtle things. So if you're in an abusive situation at the moment, they don't know. They just are saying that because you to think that can predict the future, but that amazing that they're in connection, they can, you know, win the lotto because they know the winning lottery numbers too. Right. Right. Well, I think one thing too, that is so important that we, we address is the breaking down of self is it's so destructive. And I think that women tolerate it more than they realize. And men, I think we, as a a people, we, we see abuse. We we grew up with our parents fighting and yelling at each other. And we grew up with our moms or crying or our dads huffing off and leaving. We, we have grown up. So many of us have grown up seeing bad relationships or not. And then And then we get into these negative situations where it's just a little chip out, a little chip out, a little chip out here and there. And then, you know, you wake up every day with this pit in your stomach. You hope it's going to be better. You can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but you know, well, hey, maybe my, you know, there's probably other people that have it worse. Yes. Someone yes. else is at worst. Well, it's not as bad as what my mom went through. It's not as bad as what it might, I, you know, I know happens out there. I mean, they're not, I don't have, I'm not covered in bruises, but right. the mental and emotional damage that this chipping away, this gaslighting, this emotional, spiritual abuse literally causes your soul to slowly die. Yeah. 100%. One couldn't have said it better myself. It literally, right. And it causes your soul to die. And then it's like, then you, then you get into like where it's a cognitive, where you're actually, your serotonin levels are down. Your neurotransmitters are moving slowly. Now you're in a depressed situation. Now you can't see the light at the tunnel. You can't figure your way out of this, this, this nightmare. You don't have the energy. You don't have the skills. You don't have the self-esteem. And so every single day you're just waking up, reliving and in this nightmare. Sure. And hopefully the people that are listening to this, if you're in this situation and you're like, Jesus, 
this sounds like my experience. This sounds like the death that's inside of me right now. Because I promise you, it is a death that is inside of you. 100%. And you have to find, you have to find something, even if it's 30 minutes to get in your car and drive away until you can find some solace for someone to help you get your brain out of this, your heart out of this, your mind out of this. Because it's literally, you must escape this long enough to have a clear thought. And I know that that's what you had to do. I mean, you had to escape because you, you cannot be around your abuser because they will find that seed that they planted and water the shit out of it. Absolutely. Yes. 30 second phone call. Yes. They will find the one button that they know that they can push that lives inside of you, that they know that they have put there. You have to escape this literally. You cannot Mm -hmm. stay with your abuser or around your abuser because they know how to manipulate you. That's how you got to this place. That's how you got there. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the passion that you speak that with and the truth that you speak that with, because it is, it's just so spot on. Like you, you got there because they planted that seed and they watered it and they watered it and they watered it. And in that phone call that I, that I made, I was like, what, wait a minute. This is, that was like my, thought my last red flag. Well, at that point I had already was like, okay, we need to fix the marriage or I need to leave. Yeah. Like these are my options because this is not healthy. So we drove back the kids and I with my busted ankle we drove back our 2000 miles or whatever it was. And I drove throughout the night because that's what I tended to do so that the kids can sleep. So it's easier on them because they were pretty young. They were three, six and no three, nine and 11 in that range. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Three, nine and 11. And so we get there. It's the heat of the summer. We're in the South and I get home and the house is a mess. And one of our friends is sitting on the couch with them. It stinks. Like the house smells like teenage boy, rotten, haven't cleaned in two weeks. It was nasty. And I was like, okay, so even though I clean for other people, doesn't mean that other people clean for me. And even then I was excusing the dumbass. Like what, what you just told me, you knew I was going to bust my ankle. I just drove, you know, 2000 miles with children. You can't even greet me. So there I am with my air cast on bringing everything in from the car. And it was my last load and we travel light. So it wasn't that much stuff, but still we just traveled 2000 miles, right? My last load. He's like, Oh, do you need help with that? I'm like, well, not anymore, but silly me, I should have just said, Hey, could you help me with this? I may have, I don't remember. Right. I don't remember that specific detail, but still he should have gotten his fat butt off the couch and helped the wife who just came home with the three kids after traveling over 2000 miles. No, didn't happen. And so that day I said to him, Hey, we need to fix our marriage. And he's like, yes, we do. I said, so let's get reconnected on an emotional level And then, you know, we can get reconnected on a physical level. And he said to me, well, I'm not going to get emotionally attached until we're physically attached first. So I wanted the emotional attachment for the physical attachment. He wanted the physical attachment for the emotional attachment. So we were at a standstill. So I said, at a standstill. And he goes, no, I'm just going to take what I want then. And within a week, he raped me. We got home on Monday and he raped me on Friday. And I was like, 
you literally took what you wanted. Yeah. Yep. And later on, when I told him that he had raped me, he said, no, I didn't. You wanted it too. And I said, no, I tried to push you off of me. I cried. I couldn't scream because we had the four kids in the house and we lived in a small little ranch house. Like that wasn't an option. Seriously thought I can disassociate pretty well. And so while the rape was occurring, I had these thoughts of what do I do next? Do I get up and get the gun and shoot him? Right. That's a logical thinking process. And then my next thought was, well, I won't do that because then the kids will be put into foster care or they'll be separated. And I was able to logically, legally through my next steps. While you're um, being raped. Which most, while I was being raped, I totally disassociated what was happening to me physically. I had to get lost in what's the next step because I had to escape. Like my survival mode kicked on so hard that I was like, okay, I know what's happening to me physically. What can I do to never allow this to happen to me again? And so I, I went into like super hyper survival mode and I was like, all right, can't shoot them because I can claim self-defense, but there's still going to be a trial and it's going to be six months of hell for these kids. And I can't, I cannot put them through that. So what's my next step? I'm like, I, I have yelled at him. I have told him, no, I, I am processing through this. He finished raping me and I rolled over and cried and I called my brother the next morning and I said, it's time for us to go. So then we had made a plan and thankfully I started my cycle like two days later because it was time anyway. Yes, I know. Right. Thank the Lord. I mean, really? And the entertaining, I can (laughs) entertaining sick, not like entertaining fun. The entertaining thing about this was two days later when I started my and he wanted to have sex again or rape me again, however you want to look at it, because I wasn't giving in. So I guess I would have been raped again. Yes. I said, well, I mean, I have my, he's like, oh, isn't that convenient? I'm sure you made that happen. <laughs> I was like, yeah, because we have control of that. I mean, if you're on the pill, you do have, you have an IUD, you do have, I didn't have any of that. Right. So yeah, sure. I have control over when my period starts. But it's all, it's all, every word, every word is to tear you down. Every word is to make you have self-doubt and self-hatred and low self-esteem and plant the seed that you are a piece of shit. No matter how you're horrible for getting your period, you're horrible for not giving me sex. You're horrible for breaking your ankle. You are nothing. You are worthless as you a human. You are worthless. You will take in yeah. all of that stuff with a broken ankle. You're going to do everything. And if you don't do it this way, you're off. Everything is to make you doubt who you are. Yeah. 100%. Everything is to make you hate who you are. Yeah. 100%. Absolutely. Everything and is that- to make that. And, and, and people don't understand that's how you get there. Because you literally don't like yourself. You literally find yourself. You lose yourself. You lose yourself. Everything that you used to be, the person that smiled at lunch, you know, at lunch in fifth grade and had that joy and was excited about life, that that light gone. is gone. Gone. It's yeah. gone. And the the other part of the story, so we were, it was home on Monday morning, Monday or Tuesday, something like that. And it was raped on on Friday. And I remember the Friday because he worked on Saturday. So I was able to make it 
on Saturday. So that's, you know, why the Friday sticks in my mind. But anyway, so we get home and he was like, okay, let's work on this emotional connection. So he drove me out. Mind you, we lived in the boondocks in the South. Okay. He drove me out to this cemetery and he always had his concealed, his weapon with them because he has concealed, had his concealed carry. And we go out to the cemetery and he's like, okay, let's talk. And I looked around and I was scared for my life at this point because I had no idea what's going on in his head because he's taking me to a cemetery. I know he's got his weapon on him and I know I pissed him off. So I looked at him and I said, so are you bringing, literally what I said, I was like, so you're bringing me to the cemetery. So in case I piss you off, you can just shoot me and bury me with the other people. And he, well, no. And I'm like, then why are we here? And he's like, because this is a good private place to talk. Like total sadistic, total manipulation, total control, total head screw, total head screw. So then during he was like, okay, so you don't want to have sex. Will you at least blow me? And I went, no. And then 45 minutes later, I was like, okay, we've been gone for 45 minutes and the kids are probably getting worried. Please take me home. He's like, so you're not even going to blow me. And I said, no, I'm not. And he was like, fine. And just pissed off, drove home super fast. Okay. I lived through that. Like that was my goal was like not to get shot and get buried in the cemetery. Nobody would ever find me. Nobody would ever find me because we're literally out in the middle of nowhere in the South. And you have, and you're married to this guy and you have three kids and you have a house with this and, and, and like, so anyone that's listening, that's like, I would have left right then. Why didn't she leave the next morning? Why, why? Because where are we going? You know what I mean? Like, what's the plan? Where are we going? How do we get the kids? The kids are in school. They're going to be trauma. The list that we make in our head that, that, that makes it impossible to leave is, is long and, and, and exhausting. The list is long. So exhausting. And it's so so exhausting. exhausting. Yeah. So my brother and I devised a plan. He flew from where he lived down to where we live. We devised a plan. We got out, we got out a week later. So, and then I picked up and planned it so that my daughters, their father in the state, just South of us, it was their weekend. And I let the father, their father know that we will be moving up North. We can, you know, have parental visitations, blah, blah, blah. We went through the whole thing and he's like, just get to safety. And he was even kind enough to say, if you need to move to where I am, then I can help you out, which I knew would be another head screw for me. So I declined that graciously, but it was nice of him to at least offer. Right. So there are good humans. You can be an ex with a good human. Like that's a thing, but make sure that you have enough sense to know if that's really going to be healthy for you and the kids, or if that's going to mess with you even more. And you just have to look inward for that. So we packed up 36 hours later, we made it to the safety place, the safe haven of my brother's house. And then the healing started slowly. It was such a process because they're really what gaslighting. We didn't even know of that word until what within the past five years. I would say, yeah. I mean, I didn't, I I would have given money for that word. I would have given anything to understand. I remember a relationship that I was in. And I, I remember thinking to myself, if I could just walk around with, cause my dad's a lawyer and he had a dictaphone, you know, where yeah. you could record really fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I need to buy a dictaphone because then I could record what this person is saying because everything was, I never said that. I, I never told you that. I never, never said, said that. And then you think you're freaking losing your mind. So I'm yes. like, if I could just record this. So if you feel that you need to record anything with a conversation of the person that you're with, you are in a narcissistic, abusive, gaslighting 
relationship. Because if you think yep. that you need to record to prove what you heard, you are in an abusive relationship. 100%. That's <laughs> the way that it is. <laughs> like a million percent. Yes, yep. Meredith. I totally agree with that. Yep. So we got out, we lived in my brother's basement. I mean, this is the Cliff's Notes version, but we lived in my brother's basement for six months, seven months. And healing was really slow and arduous. And I was strictly in survival mode for years. I was in survival mode for years and I would have triggers. So one of my triggers was license plates from the two states where he lived. Anytime I saw a license plate from the two states or a white diesel truck, because he had a white diesel truck, but those three things I, mm -mm. doorbell to this day, when the doorbell rings, I pause. And I want to, I want to talk about that for a second. Sure. When you say trigger and and someone that doesn't maybe have a trigger or they think that that's light, I want to express, and you can expound on it. The word when we when we're talking about when I see a diesel truck. So when you see a white diesel truck, it's not just like a oh, it's a the 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 bottom drops out of your stomach. Your legs lose all feeling. Your shoulders literally dislocate from your body. You are anxiety. You are in completely a state, you might as well have a, a, a starving tiger in front of you growling. Right. You are in complete and utter panic, even if it's just for a second. Sometimes it's a second. Sometimes it's five minutes. Sometimes it'll last the entire day where you, you keep, it keeps coming up like, oh God, oh God. And it's visceral. So this isn't just like, oh, it, it triggered me. Right. We're talking, you are t- put back there 100% you are in complete fear that here we go again. Yeah. And you know, you know, it's, it's that away. feeling. It doesn't go away. You can, it heals a little bit and it makes it easier, but it yes. doesn't actually, you know, that feeling when you were a child, I'm sure everybody can relate to this. Even the ones who were like the good kids in school, I was definitely a good kid in school, but when they would say, Hey, so-and-so, Hey Meredith, the principal would like to see you. Please come down to the office. That <laughs> feeling of, Oh crap right? Like we've all experienced that. We don't want our name over the PA. We don't want to be called down to the principal's office. Even if the principal wants to give no, thank you. I don't want the gold star from the principal. That's the scariest thing ever. Multiply that by infinity to understand what this trigger does to you. That moment of like, oh yeah, right? Like multiply that more than you can imagine for those who don't have triggers. Yeah. And I've noticed that my trigger... I, even this morning, you know, I have a 12 year old who's a fantastic kid, but you know, she can be sassy and she elevated her voice today as she was walking around the corner and she elevated her voice. And then I met her, I matched her energy to let her know that this is not okay. You will not talk to me that way. And, you know, my husband's like, what, you know, why are you, why are you doing that? I'm like, cause I can't, I cannot be have someone elevate to me when I'm just trying to help them get their lunch or whatever it is, you know? And, and so it, it's never really stops playing out that I don't even know what it is, but it's, you can never go back. You, You can't once you, once you decide and you make these choices, there's some kind of weird in, in my, you could tell me, but it's almost like you put that line in the sand that you can never go back there because what if that slippery slopes, you know what I mean? Do you, do you know what I mean? Like I've been there once. I I can never have anyone treat me like that again. And and my husband knows. Like 
Like if you ever treated me like that, like literally you would come home and I would be gone because I cannot have a slippery slope. Right. I know that it's easy to have happen. I know that sounds very harsh. No, it's true though. Like you have to have, once you've been, once you've survived a, a domestic violence situation, your foundation has to be stronger than ever, ever before. Because when you, when you have survived and you have healed and you have forgiven yourself and the person, then recognize that that stable foundation, there's an opportunity for that to happen again. Yeah. And that's scary. That's real. That's a trigger in itself, right? To not have that solid foundation. So, and to know how easily someone took you there, someone right. took you there and you could go back. And, and again, that's the thing. It's little tiny seeds. I'm just going to be a little bit of a turd today. And then I'm going to get a little, get away with a little bit more tomorrow and a little bit more tomorrow. And then all of a sudden it's okay that someone's yelling at you. It's okay that someone's being cruel to you. Oh, well, they're just having a bad day. Oh, they just are, have PMS. Oh, they just, you know, whatever it is. I didn't have the, it right for them. This is the stuff that we do to ourselves to make excuses for bad behavior. And it's up to us to have healthy boundaries as humans and say, no, because I'm nice to you. I'm a kind person. I'm not being a dick. And so I'm not going to tolerate that. If I have to live on an island by myself, it will never happen ever again. Right. And I am psychotic right. about it. Like I'm not so. Yeah. Because I'm a very, uh, and very a, kind person and I will not tolerate it ever. Right, right. And the same here. And it's so important, not only for us, but it's important to teach our children that too. Yes. That they are one, not to t- not to cross other people's, to respect them, right? And two, when somebody crosses your boundaries and disrespects it, you can just write them off just, you can. just that easily. And you're right. It does sound harsh, but if more of that, then we would have more self-respect and we would have more respect for one another. You know, I look at it like I'm teaching people how to treat me. And so if I allow bad behavior, I'm saying it's okay to treat me badly. Yeah. And I will tell you, like, sometimes, you know, as we all know, I, you know, I can be a a turd, like I might be in a crap mood or, you know, not have my wherewithal and be snippy with Jim, my husband. And I'll tell you what, he is the kindest man known to mankind, but he will, he'll go what did you just say? You know, or he'll be like, what? Call you out on it. He will call me out on it. And I get so angry in that one nanosecond. And then I instantly go, no, this is good because he's keeping our relationship healthy. He's not letting me become abusive. Right. He's not letting me be a turd. And so we're keeping our, you know, we're ourselves at a five. We're keeping ourselves healthy. We're not turning into yellers or name callers. You know what I mean? And so he does call me out and he just, it's weird. Like, it's almost like a, like a German shepherd. He's like, bark, bark. (laughs) Like you won't do that. And I'm like, okay, I respect that. Okay. okay. (laughs) Well, you know what you're kind of, you know, it's, (laughs) and you know, it's coming from a place of genuine love. Yeah. You know, where the, where the actions are coming from and the words are coming from makes all the world difference. I have a friend of mine who's in a situation where, you know, I could say the same thing to the friend as what the partner is saying. And it's coming from a totally different place of energy, you know, and that's felt that's felt in our soul and that's felt in our being. So Well, I mean, I'm always like literally like physically having fun and abusing my husband in a fun, like, you know, like messing with him kind of way, hitting him with a pillow or whatever. Like, 
jovial and we're playful, but sometimes, he, you know, like maybe it hit his eye or whatever. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he's like, I know, I know, I know, I know you would never mean like, he knows I'm not trying to hurt him. We're having fun. We're laughing. Right. We're having right. fun. And, and so there you can, you know, someone's intention if they're trying to hurt you, if they're trying to manipulate you or whatever. And, and, and so, yeah, no, hundred percent. But I think it's super important that we understand that we do treat, teach the world how to treat us. And, 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 you know, like what you're saying, it takes time. There are triggers. And so in this healing process over the seven months, when did you start to decide that you were going to go from abused to advocate, to teacher, to author, to helper? All of it. Yes. To all of it. When did we use the fuel to, to change the world? You know, it was five years later. Wow. Let's be honest. Lived in my brother's months and then I continued on survival mode. So we moved from the state where my brother lives and my best friend lives to a neighboring state, sort of neighbor, whatever. So a state nearby. And it was probably another, well, it was five years after I got out of the abuse that we got out of the abuse. And I had a trigger on my way to church and I almost didn't even go. And then I was like, oh, I need to seek help. Like I, my kids were old enough where I felt like they were okay. For those of you who are parents in abusive situations, I'm not sure if you know this saying, but pour from your over your overflow. So you have a saucer, your saucer is empty. You can't give to anybody else, right? We're supposed to give from our overflow. And that includes your children. So if you don't take care of yourself, you're not truly taking care of your children. I thought that if all of me to my children, then they will be okay. And I'll have time to heal later. That's a backwards thought process. So heal yourself first in order to be able to an overflow in order to be able to heal your children the most properly, most proper way and the most effective way. So I made a huge mistake of allowing five years to go by before I even began to heal, even think about healing myself. I didn't think there was anything wrong because I was in such survival mode from the minute of the rape. I was in such survival mode. I didn't know anything else. I didn't, I, I was in survival mode. Yeah. And so I had the trigger. I went and sought counseling, realized I had PTSD, had to heal from that. So it, it was, it was at the five-year mark that I really started healing. I didn't let anybody in, in that time, limited people in definitely didn't myself, uh, trust, trusted myself limitedly, trusted people limitedly. And then probably that's probably the time when I started like personal development campuses. So like the Jack Canfield and Lisa Nichols and Tiffany Peterson, and I YouTubed everything possible for, for um, self-development and the Jack Canfield thing came about. So I heard about his, I grew up with his chicken soup for the soul books. You know, my mom had those mm-hmm. and I heard about his program certification program many years ago, about five years ago. And I prayed about it and meditated. And I was like, Hey, do I need to do this? Yes. But not now was the answer. So a few years later, I heard about it again. You know, do I need to do this? Yes, but not now. So then in 2019 at one of his seminars, And I was like, is it time now? And the answer was, yes, the time is now for you to do this. So I, I came certified as a Canfield trainer and I was meditating and praying. And I was like, okay, God, I have this great training. I have my master's in education. I have this domestic violence, you know, experience of my life. How am I going to take that sandpaper 
and all this beautiful knowledge that I have and better the world. And through meditation, it was just very clear to me that it's for me to help guide others out of their quicksand. So that's how I came up with the name of the business is we're all in that quicksand of domestic violence. And the more we fight against it, the more we drown in it. Right. And so it was just a very, a very clear path and mission for me to now, put, you know, give that helping hand to help others get out of their quicksand. And so I started the business in January of 2020 and I have courses and, you know, all the, all the things, group coaching and one-on-one coaching and, and somewhere in there, I think it was actually before I was certified with Jack, it came to me that I'm supposed to write a book. And I thought the book was going to be one topic. And I started writing it and the book yelled at me and said, nope, this isn't what you're supposed to write about. And I was like, the heck it is. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> yes, because nobody's going to out, not even an inanimate object. And so entertainingly enough, I put the book aside for three weeks. Then of course I meditated and prayed because that's what I do. I was like, what am I supposed to write about? And the book is 52 and it's 52 stories of God showing up in my life, whether I wanted him there or not, like just God, Holy spirit, whatever, you know, connection you want to make to that in the universe. And so it's 52 stories of the good, the bad, and the ugly from childhood to post-abuse and, and the, the healing process and parts of the abuse of course are in there because that's a massive part of my story now. And I wrote the book to help others and to help heal through that. And yeah, I just, I'm very grateful that I did that and had that experience. And of course there are other books lingering in my head and some of them are started and, you know, it's just kind of a fun thing. I've always enjoyed writing and enjoyed English. I used to be an English teacher. So, you know, that just kind of is a natural thing for me. And so I finished the book in August. Yeah. I think the launch was August of 2019. I don't know. I did the Jack thing in 2019. Mm-hmm. So trust me, the, the last two years have been a blur for everybody. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. It's been in the last book and got certified with Jack in the past two years. And then just, this is what I do now. And I love it. I love being able to guide people out of and I love the the metamorphosis that takes place the the I'm worthy coming to fruition within themselves that's huge and again it doesn't matter if you're male or female you know at the end of the day abuse is abuse and it doesn't care your socioeconomic it doesn't care your gender it doesn't care how you identify abuses and unfortunately it happens and fortunately we have people who help us through that and fortunately we have people there and can really relate and there's just been so much growth on my personal journey. Um, do we have time for a quick story? Yeah. So I was in group counseling after the abuse happened and I had one lady in the class and this is, mind you, I was in survival mode and I was very selfish at that time because I didn't understand the abuse thing. And I didn't really necessarily want to still admit that I was just out of an abusive situation because the shame and the blame and the guilt, right. That comes with all of that. So there was this one lady in the group that drove to the neighboring state. She drove two hours north of where we were in abuse because her abuser wasn't allowed to leave the state. So she would drive two hours north to have good intercourse and get abused. Uh, Okay. And she came back with a black eye one time and told us that she drove two hours north to her partner and got abused. And I just wanted to like punch her in the other eye. I was like, how, how can you do that to yourself? And I realized later 
that that's that trauma bond and that low self-esteem. Yep. And that's why I say give yourself six months because that's going to be there. And it's so sad. And, and now I'm totally ashamed of having that thought, you know, towards this woman who was wanting to get out of the abuse, but had that trauma bond. I didn't understand it. I didn't yeah. understand any of that. Right. But it's so important to allow yourself to release. And I, I took massive steps. Like he's still blocked on all my socials. The abuser is still blocked. I have no interest in, in knowing what's going on in his life because it was so easy for me to go, what is he doing? Oh, that's my Christmas tree. And now he's married to somebody else. By the way, I'm friends with the second ex-wife. That's a whole other story. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, all those, those continual triggers that we do to ourselves because of social block the person block, do yourself the person, the favor and block the person, yeah. your life will go on. And trust me, their life is already on. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So yeah. you do one-on-one, you do group coaching and that mm-hmm. is your website, which is out of the quicksand.com out of the quicksand.com. And you're also on Instagram and then all of this will be in the show notes as well. So you can find her. And then the other stuff is, you know, you do also oh, the, the coaching you do six month and four month. Cause you, you, we talked about the fact that it, this is a process. This isn't yes. one phone call, one zoom call. And yes. you're six. Like this is, this is going to take time. Sure. And let me ask you a question. Cause I'm always nuts. If someone knows that they are an abuser, where do they go for help with that? Do you know? I do. Actually, I have a very, very good friend of mine who actually helps the abusers. And when we first met a little over a year ago, she was like, yeah, I work with the abusers. And there was that part of what kind of woman are you? How can you, you're a traitor. What are you doing? You can't. And, and then I got out of myself. Right. And I realized that the abuser needs the love and the help too, because there's some part of them that is broken. Yeah. Because it just is from their past traumas. Right. And they're humans as well. And so I got off my high horse or I was knocked off a bit or however you want to word it, but I was on the ground going, Oh crap. The abuser needs the love and the healing just as much because they're humans as well, having crappy experiences. So yes, if you are the abuser and you know that, and you want to get help, there are services to help you with that. Reach out to me and I can point you in the right direction there are, you can too. a lot of times it's court mandated. So this particular friend of mine works with the court systems because they are court mandated to, to go mm-hmm. through rehabilitation. So, and just because you're an abuser or just because you're being abused doesn't mean that the abuser is a narcissist, right? So narcissists won't seek help because there's nothing wrong with them. Right. That's their definition, right? There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody else is at fault, but there are genuinely non-narcissistic people who want to heal themselves so that they don't keep abuse. I, I think a lot of them not- just, yeah, I think a lot of them just don't have the tools. Like they were never right. given tools or, <sighs> you know, emotion or love or relationship is expressed in X way because that's how it was expressed to me from my sure. mom and dad. And that's the only way I know how to express anything or get my way or whatever. Like there are tools that, that people can, can learn so that they can now be in healthy relationships. And, you know, that's the thing we, we do have to help abusers. We do have to find a way to, to help them 
or we're just, you know, it's, we're just throwing them back out into the wild to find another victim, Victim. Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's not your job, ladies. Poor gentlemen, right? Gentlemen, it's not your job to fix them. It's not your job to find help for them. There are professionals to do that. There are professionals to do that. It's not your job to even direct them to go there. It's not your job to you know, sign them up for those classes or them. It's actually probably best that it not be you because you're already in that very awful pattern. But if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I really do wish I treated my wife or kids or husband better. I wish I wasn't yelling all the time. I wish I wasn't being the manipulative person that I know I am. I wish I didn't talk down to or destroy or hurt my partner. I want to do better. I want a different experience for my life. You can get help to change the patterns of your behavior so that you are not abusive. Because I do know people that are very abusive and they think it's very normal to yell and fight and call names. And guess what? People, it's not normal to be in a bad negative situation. That is not normal. It's not healthy. It's not good for your kids. But I'm just, you know, so blessed to have you here sharing your experience. And not only are you just sharing your experience, but you're also letting everyone know there is a whole nother life waiting for them on the other side of this. And that's what I want so many people to understand with this is there's a, there's a whole life, a beautiful life waiting for you, but you can't get there from abuse. You have to leave it. You, you have to walk away from it. You have to get out of it. You have to find yourself worth. You have to go through the process, you know, be it in one of her coachings or one-on-ones or wherever you are. And you, you do this with people all over the United States. So this is zoom. Oh, absolutely. All over the world with zoom. Yeah. So yeah. this, so don't think that, well, I'm not, I don't live by her or whatever. And then you also have your book 52, which can be found where? On Amazon. I'll, I'll send you the link so you can put it in the show notes. Perfect. We'll put sure. that in the show notes so you can find her book 52, which is 52 ways that God has shown up in her life to change your path. I mean, honestly, that's, yeah. you know, it's a steering wheel, right? Like that's when God shows up is to, is to change your direction and, and get you back on your path and journey, which it sounds like you're, I mean, I always look at everything that I've ever been through, all my little broken parts and my steering wheel to get me to where I'm at today. I couldn't have this conversation with you without knowing what it's, I I mean, maybe I could, I don't know, but there's a compassion that I have. There's an understanding that we're having this communion moment of, I get you, Mm -hmm. I see you, I understand you. And I think that people know that about me, you know, as, as, as I have so much love for you. So thank you so much for being here today with me and sharing your story Welcome. And for, for, for making the world a better place from your story, really, honestly. Thank so you. thank you. Yeah, you're absolutely welcome. It's such a pleasure. And it's the shift is, is a holistic shift, right? So when you're process, it's internal language towards yourself and it's external behaviors. And you have to that tripod and work with all three of those intensely so that you can live that life that you're called to live and be worthy of the life that, you know, feel worthy of the life that you're destined to live. Cause that's yeah. the lack of worth is the first thing to overcome. Right. Cause we just feel like, Oh, we're not worthy of a good life. You are, you are right. worthy of living in a healthy relationship out of abuse with a loving and supportive person beside you. Or if you choose not to be with a loving and supportive person, then loving and supporting yourself, 100%. you know, enough. Cause I have friends who have been in horrible abuse and they're like, I don't want an intimate relationship. Perfect. But you have to learn that you don't have to, but I 
for you to learn to love and support yourself in the ways that you, you deserve to live that happy life. Yeah. So true. So true. All right, my love. Well, thank you so much. I so appreciate you. you. And we're, you know, we're kicking off this entire series on abuse where we're going to be talking all about these types of things. I've got a lot of amazing guests coming on this entire, I would say next two months. So, you know, if this is something you want to learn more about, or if you have a friend that is going through this, send them this episode and help them out. And uh, I will see you all here next week. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect on a more personal level, head over to MeredithWillits.com or on Instagram at Meredith with a Y for behind the scene footage and outtakes. Please subscribe and come back each week for more Meredith with a Y. Thanks again for listening. Cheers.